We've been doing a series on the life of Joseph and been looking at how he's a role model for the church, especially in the last days of how God used him to preserve uh, nations and to preserve God's people. And really, he's a type of an overcomer, of someone who ruled in the middle of his enemies. He still was able to overcome and to rule and reign. And so he's you know, he's a type of the man-child, what speaks of coming into the fullness of Christ. You know, in that Joseph, he was a son, he was a servant, and he was a king. And God wants to bring all of us into the fullness of what he has for us. And in fact, that kind of leads me to an aspect, and, and it's really a small aspect of his life I just wanted to consider with you this morning. Even though it's very briefly mentioned in Scripture, in reality, it, it governs the whole of Joseph's life. You know, it guides him. It's with him as kind of a companion. You know, what he falls back on when he's in trouble and in difficulty and, you know, I, that we're imagining that because we don't, we can't read what was going on in his mind in his trials, but yet we can understand that by considering some of the others in scriptures like David and so forth. But, but it's, it's the idea that, um, that Joseph received a vision from the Lord. He had a vision that God placed in his heart. And, you know, we see this in Genesis 37, where he had those two dreams. We won't read all of the, the scriptures, but the first was a dream of sheaves, probably of wheat or barley. And uh, Joseph said, his sheaf rose up and the sheaf of his brothers bowed down before him. And his brothers weren't too happy about that. And then he had another dream, and, and this one is in Genesis 37, 9, of, and this was a dream about the stars. And so he had a dream of the sheaf, right? And you can kind of relate this to kind of even the promise to, to Israel, two-phase promise, you know, uh, or, or to Abraham, right? The promise of the, the natural seed, like the sand on the seashore, but then here's the stars in the sky, a spiritual seed. And he dreamed another dream, verse 9, it says, I uh, it said, behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars made obeisance to me. His father understood what that meant. He had a he had an idea, right, that that he was the sun and the mother was the moon. And his brothers were the 11 stars. And even he said, wait, wait a minute, Joseph, am I going to bow down to you? And mom is going to bow down to you. Um, this dream has an eternal connotation because at this time it's thought that Joseph's mother was already in heaven. She had passed away in, in chapter 35 and died in childbirth. And so it seemed even in eternity, Joseph would rise to that a greater place of maturity and fullness in Christ than the rest of his family. But I think we can understand that because Joseph was a man of character who followed God and had a deep work accomplished. He went through so much as a slave and then as a prisoner, but he never became bitter. He never gave up. He, he overcame in his spirit and his attitude and in his responses. We can understand that because, you know, none of those who were over him ever commented on that. They just promoted him. You promote someone who has a good spirit. And so this idea uh, that's really been oppressed upon uh, our hearts for several weeks, and I wanted to entitle this message, Feeding the Vision. Feeding the Vision. 
God wants to give each of His children a heavenly vision, an eternal uh, vision for what He has for us. And this vision will be a companion for us. It will burn within us as we walk on our journey of faith through this life to guide us, to strengthen us, to encourage us, and to keep us focused on what really matters. But the first thing uh, we need to establish really is, is what is a vision, right? What does it mean to have a vision? Is it just understanding what it means to be a Christian? Or I think there's two aspects to this. And the first being is that God has a personal vision for each of our lives. He has a plan for us. And you know, this plan, it wasn't written as soon as we were born into this world, right? We weren't born and God said, you know, I think this one, I'm going to have them do this. No, the plan was written before the foundation of the earth. He had a plan for each of our lives. I think that's, that's marvelous to think about. Before the worlds were created, before the stars were put in their courses in the universe, God thought about me and he thought about you. And he wrote out a plan that we have the opportunity and the choice, and I say that that's the important part, the opportunity and the choice to follow and fulfill that plan. That's really what the vision speaks of. We have a vision if we have a, a, a burning desire to fulfill that plan for our lives. And so he's written that plan out. He's, drew, he's drawn our hearts. He's directed our, our paths to be where we are even Today, you know, he planted us all in different locations, and there's people from different churches here this morning. He's put us in different places for such a time as this. It's like Isaiah, the latter part of Isaiah 61 and verse 3, we are called to be trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Now, for my wife and I personally, we know that God planted us here in Clearwater, Florida in 2004. He brought us here and, you know, he's spoken to us. This is our inheritance. God has an inheritance for us. And, it, you know, our inheritance is linked intrinsically to the place he plants us. Now, that's not saying God can't lead us to different locations in our journey Uh throughout uh, life, you know, but it will always be the planting of the Lord. You know, there's a method even in Florida, and, and sometimes you see this in, when you're looking at some of the big houses. You know, we have big houses down here, mansions, and, you know, you can drive by the beach and see these huge houses. And sometimes, you know, they don't want to wait for a little palm tree to grow big, so they'll buy a big palm tree and it, that comes on a semi-trailer, you know, and they'll have, sometimes they'll have four or five huge root balls that have all been prepared, carefully taken out of the ground at the nursery and transported and then a hole prepared and it's planted and it's supported and it's watered and, and it's, and it's, you know, taken care of in that new place. And I, I think that's how God can move us no matter what stage of life we are. He, he, he wants to plant us where we'll have life. And he leads us in that way. But it's always the planting of the Lord. And that is really what it's about. Because there's so many out there that go from church to church looking for what will make them happy. 
It's like, well, yeah, that church, I, that one kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I didn't really like that, how this, what that and the other was and, and so forth. And so they're looking for what will make them happy instead of where God would plant them. And then there are those who so easily leave a church for whatever reason, you know, some small thing isn't to their liking about the church and, you know, maybe they become offended about something and they leave. But what are they doing? They're leaving the planting of the Lord. All right, so there's a difference. It's not that God doesn't lead us to different places. The question is, where has he planted us? Because that is where we will be eternally fruitful. That is how we will fulfill the vision for our lives. So there's that first aspect, that, that personal vision. What does God have for each of us? He wants to give us that sense. He wants to, to, to give us that in our spirits. You know, Joseph, by, mo- by no means did he have a full picture of what God had for him. And thank God for that. He's probably grateful for that, right? He's probably glad the vision wasn't shown him of, hey, you're going to be taken off into Egypt and then you're going to be sold as a slave. Probably would have run the other way. But he still, he had a vision that, that looked beyond that into what God wanted to do in his life and through him. And so God wants to give us something that will burn within us and cause us to go forward. But then there's so that's a personal aspect of the vision. But then there's the corporate vision, what God has called his people to come unto. Or you could say what he's offering us, and that is the privilege of coming to his holy mountain and dwelling there. Now, there's, there's the term that uh, we could we understand or has been called the vision of Zion, or really it's obtaining a vision of dwelling in heavenly Mount Zion with Christ for all eternity. And in reality, it's what Paul said, we win Christ. There's so much that we could say about this. We could have a whole series on, on, you know, the vision and fulfilling that in our lives. But I just wanted to summarize it in a few select phrases and verses. Psalm 9 and verse 11 says, Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare his deeds among the people. And so in essence, Zion is God's dwelling place. David established a place and named it Zion, but I think it's because he had a sense of something in eternity. And he wanted that to be his focus on earth so that it would be his dwelling place in eternity. And thankfully, we don't have to go over and fly over Jerusalem to experience Zion. It doesn't really exist anymore. It's just, you know, a location over there and a name from history. The real one that matters is in heaven. It's the place he's calling us to. Psalm 87 and verse 2, The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Heaven is a big place. There's lots of places we can dwell there, but there's one place the Lord loves. It's the gates of Zion. It's the dwelling place. It's his holy mountain. God's love is great. And so it's very significant for him to say he loves something more than the other. And it is Zion. So we need to make that our, our, our destination. One last description we can see is in Revelation 14. And start in verse 1. It says, 
And John has shown this in heaven. He says, I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion. This is in heaven. And with them 144,000 having his father's name written in their foreheads. And they sang a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. No one can learn that song except that group. And these were ones who were redeemed from the earth. They were not defiled with women. They were virgins. These are ones who followed the lamb wherever he goes. They were redeemed from among men. They were the first fruits unto God and to the lamb. And so this is a wonderful group of those who had followed him. They were standing upon heavenly Mount Zion. They had qualified because they'd followed him wherever he led them. They have his name and they're singing a song. They, that only they can know, but it's because it's the song they had in life. They, they experienced God. They followed him. God put a song in their hearts in life, and they can sing that for all of eternity. They're first fruits. They're the, they're the portion preserved for the Lord, kind of like the Levites. They didn't get an inheritance in the promised land. God was their inheritance. And so that is to be our vision. Our upward calling is Paul says in Philippians 3. But there's an important concept. This is all an introduction, by the way, <laughs> to get to an important concept. Right. It's shared in Psalm 87. And here we, in fact, we read verse 2 earlier, but let's, let's read that again. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of, of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of thee, O city of God. I'll make mention of Rahab and Babylon to them that know me, Philistia, Tyre, Ethiopia. And so there's many places that are named. But then of Zion, it shall be said that this man was born in her, and the highest himself shall establish her. What God is sharing here is that there is there is a birthing that comes that can come into our life toward of a vision for Zion. You know, there, there's a spiritual birthing that comes into his kingdom, but there's also a spiritual birthing that has to take place for a vision to be established in our lives of obtaining God's highest. And it says that this man or woman was born in her, in Zion. And so God wants to birth a vision that will burn in our lives throughout our whole journey. Lord, I want, to, I want to make it. I want to be among that group that stands before you on your holy mountain, that can sing songs that other people can't because they didn't walk in the way you were calling. They didn't follow your leading wherever you wanted to, to lead them. But that can be our calling. That can be our fulfillment. And so that vision can guide and encourage and strengthen us in difficult times as it did Joseph. It will keep us on track. It'll keep us focused on what really matters in life. Because the only thing that really matters is that we stand and he's holy mountain on that day because we followed him. But now we come to the point. Because I entitled this message, Feeding the Vision. Right? And so... It's so important that we have a vision. There's so many people out that are wandering. But God wants to give us a vision of going on. But, you know, even once we receive that vision, it's been birthed in our lives. It's a vision that has to be maintained. It's a vision we have to feed. 
It has to be birthed. You know, I was really quickened with that thought. Where there is birth, it makes sense. There can also be death, right? If something is born, it can die. And that's something that even the natural life shows us, right? Where we can be born into natural life, and of course, death comes to all. But we can be born into spiritual life, and there could be spiritual death. Well, at the same time, we could be born into a vision for spiritual Mount Zion and have that precious vision birthed in our lives, yet the vision has to be fed and maintained, or that precious vision can die within us. But we don't need to worry if we feed the vision. You know, God spoke of Israel and his desire to feed them. He said this in Psalm 81, 16. He said he wanted to feed them with the finest of wheat and honey out of the rock should I have satisfied them with. You know, if we come to him, God will feed us with the best, most satisfying spiritual sustenance. Wheat and honey. Strength and anointing. And those with a vision for attaining God's highest for their lives feed on those wonderful spiritual food that God has, the hidden manna, as is talked about in Revelation. But there's that practical, practical component is that we have to do that. We have to feed upon it. We have to make that our portion. That in a practical sense, that means studying the scriptures for ourselves, being students of the word. You know, Pastor Bailey used to always say that we never stop being students Right? If we stop being students, that means we stop learning. And we never want to stop learning about Christ and hearing His voice leading us and guiding us because He's always leading us in different ways and new pastures. And so we have to give ourselves to the Word. You know, it involves good teaching too. Right? Reading good books, having, having a good program of study as, as, we're, as God has put upon Pastor Billy's heart and developed in Zion Fellowship and Zion Christian University. And so, you know, practically, we need to give ourselves to studying good teaching. I'll mention one more thing in that. Good worship. Good music. Right? There's music that can lift us up to heavenly places with God, and there's music that can cause us to focus on other things that will not feed the vision. I won't get into that too much, but... But, you know, we need to fill our spirits with music that will cause our vision to be lifted up. The final thought I wanted to share, and, you know, is we consider what will cause the vision to increase. But there's also the thought that's so important is a vision can grow, but a vision can diminish. And so there's four points, and, and the Lord was speaking that. Actually, the Lord spoke this to my wife as she was just meditating on this thought of, of vision. And, and there were four things. The first thing is feeding on other streams. You know, a vision can become diluted if we're feeding on other streams. Now, now I'm not bringing out anything specific about other sources of teaching or ministry, but what's important is that the Holy Spirit wants to lead us in what we feed upon. And what we're letting into our hearts and our spirits and what becomes our spiritual source of life and sustenance. 
And so we want to walk in the fear of the Lord and, and we want to ask, Lord, will this cause the vision to increase or decrease? Will it cause me to look to you or look to other things? And so we have to recognize that what we feed on has an effect upon our vision. And, you know, a second thing is, is that if we feed on other things and we, you know, maybe we'll see, oh, I like that out there. I like how that sounds. Sometimes that can cause us to despise the vision. And this is what feeding on other things can do. We begin to look down on the vision that God's birthed within us. The third thing is, you know, then we can be kind of come discouraged and even can become bitter. When we look at other areas and see other things we desire in life and become focused on what we feel like we don't have, and we can become discouraged. The final step is that we can become offended. And offense is really a death sentence to vision because it hardens our heart. When we become offended, it hardens our heart towards God and towards His Spirit. You know, God spoke to the church at Sardis in Revelation 3 and verse 2 and said, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard and hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I'll come as a thief and you'll know what, not which hour will come that he comes. But, and so our call is to watch and strengthen what we have and hold fast so that what we have does not diminish, does not perish. But if we hold fast and walk in that right way, the vision will increase. One last verse, Hebrews 2 and verse 1. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we let them slip. You know, the things that were once precious, as the writer of Hebrews is saying, if neglected, can so easily slip away. You know, something God was speaking to, to Sarah uh, concerning the thought of feeding the vision, is she felt the Lord speak that there's those in which the vision is waning. You know, as long as they're connected to Zion and, or in the sense in the place they're planted, there's still hope. But if they choose to walk away, it's like a branch that is cut off. There's life for a time, but then it ceases so that the vision will die. But there's good news is that God can revive. He can bring life. If we'll come to him, he'll bring new life. He'll strengthen us. He'll establish us. He'll settle us in his vision. The Lord can blow his wind upon us and cause the flame of his vision to become new and increase. You know, ultimately, God is going to fulfill his vision. He's going to bring his people, his church, to his holy mountain. And for eternity, they will be singing songs of worship to him for all eternity. The question is, will we be one of them? God, let it be that we are among that blessed group. Let's cry out to God. Lord, if I don't, we don't have that vision, Lord, birth it. Let it be birthed in me. Or Lord, cause it to grow. Lord, I want it to increase. I want it to, and you know, this is where I am. Lord, I want it to, to absolutely take over 
and guide every decision I make, every step I take, so that the Lamb leads me wherever I go. And that vision will burn brightly to bring us into the fullness of what He has for each of us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.